1: back with another edition of the Federalist Radio Hour. I'm Emily Jashinsky culture editor here at The Federalist. As always, you can email the show at radio at the Federalist.com. Follow us on Twitter at FDRLST. Make sure to subscribe wherever you download your podcasts as well. Today, we're back with a familiar face or since we're ever podcast, I will say familiar voice. That would be Sarah <laughs> Carter. She's the host of the Dark Wars podcast, uh, Dark Wars The Border. Make sure to take a listen to this. Just an, an incredible podcast. Make sure you download Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Also, Sarah is likely familiar to many of you as a Fox News contributor and the host of the Sarah Carter show. She's been covering the border for years and years and years. Sarah, thank you for joining us.
2: Oh, thank you so much for having me on, Emily. It's a real pleasure. What a great, what a great uh, pleasure for me to be on your show.
1: No, it's, it's really our pleasure. We do uh, you know, a fair amount of border coverage here. It's so interesting to us and to our audience. Now, the idea of, of doing what you're doing with Dark Wars is so critical. It's something that's just totally missing, I think, from the, the ecosystem, the conservative podcast ecosystem and the podcast ecosystem in general. So for people who haven't had a chance to listen yet, Sarah, can you just give us a, an introduction? What is Dark Wars The Border all about? What are you doing with it?
2: One of the most important things, and I'm glad you asked about Dark Wars and focusing on the borders I've spent, you know, we, my career in general has been like nearly 20 years on the border. Uh, I have met so many amazing people along the way and I've heard so many stories and I've seen so much happening on that border. So much has evolved historically and even now in the present, you know, everything kind of affects each other. And what we really wanted to do was bring a story to the audience. Take them with us on these journeys, bring the stories directly to them and why the border is important to every single American, whether they live on the border or whether they're in, you know, Dayton, Ohio, or, you know, Phoenix, Arizona, or McAllen, Texas, you know, these stories are our stories, and they affect not only us individually, but they affect our nation both on a national security level as well as a humanitarian crisis. So what we really wanted to do was be able to take the audience with me, with us on those journeys. A lot of times, if I'm doing television, we get like a very small window to tell the story. Or if you know, it's written, a lot of times it'll get lost in all the, you know, all the minutiae, or it'll 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 get lost in all the stories that are out there. But this way, when you're listening to a podcast and we're doing interviews with experts in the field and people on the ground and talking to those that are being smuggled, talking to the smugglers themselves, talking to intelligence officials, uh, as well as law enforcement officials. It's very intimate. You can hear it directly from the people we're interviewing and the stories that we're telling. And as you know, Emily, I mean, the podcast allows people to do it on their time, right? They're able to set the agenda for themselves. Every listener can take that moment, whether they're in the car or at home, to really listen to the story and really be informed
1: it's so impo- it's it's such a powerful thing to bring people to the border with you and to hear the voices of people who have been down there like yourself but also just to hear the sights and sounds uh, as best you can over audio um it just can be such a powerful thing sarah uh, can you tell us about how when you're down there and you're you know covering uh, you're you're by the river you're talking to migrants you're talking to border patrol what is it that you wish Uh, people could hear? What is it that you wish people could to the, you know, to the ability they could ever go there in person? What is it you wish you could convey sort of just in terms of the sensory experience?
2: You know, I always say the border, it reminds me a lot of like the similar feelings that I had when I was covering the war in Afghanistan or in Iraq, you know, and in Mexico, there is a war, there's a You know, there's a shadow narco state um, and we're dealing with that here in the United States as well. Uh, Addiction, um, drug addiction, but also the power that the cartels have to, you know, reach beyond our border and really affect uh, our lives, you know. But in, for example, like along the Rio Grande Valley, I would say, you know, not only are you experiencing the beauty of the terrain, but also the terrain itself becomes its own character, right? In these stories, uh, it's danger. It's, uh, you know, the river, you look at the Rio Grande river and which has like, I believe in the world, the most variety of bird life than almost any other place on the planet. And so you hear these amazing birds, you, you see the terrain, you sometimes see a scorpion or, uh, you know, a tarantula walk by or something snake or you know there's there's all kinds of rumors about mountain lions out there and everything but but you look at the river and the river looks peaceful on on the top but what people don't realize and I always try to express this is, is that it has an undercurrent right And this undercurrent just sweeps people up and so many people have died and then of course the heat and the environment and of course the dangers, the the elements that many of the migrants face when they're being trafficked into the United States. And tragically enough, you know, you'll hear the stories or I'll be out there. And I wish I could take the audience with me. There are times where we're out there. It's over 100 degrees. It's excruciatingly hot. You're not going to be you could get lost so easily uh, because the terrain is so vast. And then you see 20 or 30 people, you know, just sweating or drenched in water, or, you know, carrying one tiny little bottle of water among them. And they have just been abandoned by their coyotes, the people that are smuggling them into the country, and left to fend for themselves in this really ominous terrain, especially when the environment is so, uh, it's such a force to be reckoned with. I mean, a human being sometimes just can't survive those kind of conditions. And many of them have died. Last year, over 700 people lost their lives um, on the U S Mexico border, just in our area. It was designated by the UN, one of the most dangerous land crossings in the world. Um, 51 of those people were children. And so for me as a journalist and as the daughter of an immigrant Cuban mom, you know, I, I wish I could take people to the moment where these migrants have made it across or have survived and the desperation in their voices. And especially if you're talking to children, children that have, you know, unaccompanied minors that have just barely made it. And just the horror of this crisis and the fact that so few people have paid attention, not only to the humanitarian crisis, but the national security crisis and What I try to do with the podcast is bring those feelings, take you right there in Dark Wars, you know, bring you right to that moment where not only are you experiencing what the people feel, but what our law enforcement is up against when they're the first I mean literally they are the first responder for some of these people that are literally um medically i they need they need help some of them uh, have been lost for for days some of them have been on this journey for months and when you realize that the people are being brutalized and used by the cartels and the human traffickers I think what it changes the way you think about the crisis and the situation. It's no more about, oh, this, these are immigrants. We need to let them in. We need to, you know, leave our borders open for them to come in. It changes everything. It says, how do we stop these traffickers, these, you know, drug traffickers, these human traffickers from abusing these innocent people and taking advantage of them. And then we come to think of the bigger picture. How do we, draw the line with our politicians and say no more. This is unacceptable. We are not going to allow this to happen to another child. I mean, how many more children have to disappear? How many more children have to die on this journey? And by the way, those 51 children were bodies that we recovered or Mexican authorities recovered right on the border. That doesn't include all the children that have been lost or that have lost their lives on the journey to the United States. Right. So we're talking about hundreds. So it's it's difficult to say, but what I want the story to do is to open up the hearts of of everyone who listens and and also educate and give people, empower people to do something different. Because not only is this a danger to us as a nation, but it's a danger to every single person that is being trafficked into our country. And we have to realize that.
1: And you know we're talking today on Tuesday amidst some breaking news, which is that in the Senate there is a bipartisan duo, Kirsten Cinema and Tom Tillis, that are trying to uh, circulate a draft framework of immigration reform for the lame duck session. Um, right now, the framework includes a pathway to citizenship for the two million dreamers uh, about 25 to 40 billion dollars of increased funding for border patrol and border security that would hire more agents increase their pay and an extension of title 42 at least until a former plan uh until we come up with a plan to stop the the surge um who knows what that would actually look like and so far we just have this vague idea that they're going to overhaul the asylum system to prevent uh abuses of the asylum system i mean the asylum system is really at the heart of right so much of what you were just talking about sarah what what lures uh, people into the arms of cartels to make these horrific journeys, what do you make of the fact that Senate Republicans, uh, including Tom Tillis, and they think maybe he can peel off 10 Senate Republicans, that's what has been reported so far, there's some confidence there, what do you make of the news that a plan like this is circulating in the upper chamber right now?
2: It's very frustrating, because I still don't think they've actually addressed the real issues that are happening at the border. And I'm not saying that we can't find some kind of common ground here and we need to, and we need to, but we need to work on sovereignty and security for securing that border. We need to hold accountable as well. It can't just be the United States, right? It can't just be us doing all the work. We have to work with our neighbors in Central America, with our neighbors in Mexico, with our neighbors across, I think the Western hemisphere. To address this issue, Emily, I have been covering this and listening to this same talk and rhetoric coming out of Washington since the Bush administration. I remember the very first time when it actually really hit me was when President Bush was like, well, they're doing the jobs, all of these immigrants that Americans won't do. And in my mind, I thought, well, first of all, that sounds kind of racist. I know we probably wasn't being that way. (laughs) But secondly, but secondly, I mean, it's just the jobs that Americans won't do. No, Americans will do any job because Americans are from all over the world. We are also the ancestors or our ancestors were immigrants. We are their descendants, you know, and my mother, I'm a first time immigrant on her side. She was a, I would, I guess I would say I'm the child of an immigrant mother first born in this country on my mom's side of the family. And it's very frustrating for me to hear this talk, both from Democrats and Republicans when they never really address the issues they—they've always played with words. They've always toyed with the American people on this. I've seen it. I saw it with DACA, and I saw it with the increase of unaccompanied minors coming in with uh, President Obama when I was 2014. I was on the border with Henry Cuellar. I remember, and I'm—I'm I'm grateful that at least Kirsten Cinnamon. I think she knows her constituents aren't going to put up with it, and she's a Democrat. But I mean, they're standing up and saying like this is unacceptable. And I remember even Henry Cuellar saying the same thing when we had 67,000 unaccompanied minors, I believe in 2014 and 2013. And now we're seeing that number double, increase, triple, and this year alone, 2.7 million. But I've been down to the border and the border is wide open. And here they're talking about you know, DACA and whether the federal judge will, you know, dismantle that soon and members are trying to find a framework for immigration and they're, they're going to see if they're going to put more funding for border patrol and security. Well, we have all the laws in place. We they're just not following them. We have border patrol out there, but they're not allowed to do their job. What is this going to I mean, I, I, I know they need more resources, but how is this going to be any different if the executive branch does not do what it is intended to do? And that is protect the national security of this country and shut down that border and send a statement across the bow that we are going to work with our neighbors in the Western Hemisphere to to strengthen our economies and to do what is right to do what is right for both the people in the United States and those that are being trafficked.
0: A new year full of surprises. But one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services. So when postage goes up, your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com is like your own personal post office, wherever you are. You can even take orders on the go with the mobile app. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Schedule package pickups. no long-term commitments or contracts that's stamps.com code program
2: before shopify were you wondering where are my sales at now you're selling with shopify the global commerce platform supercharging your selling you have no problem selling online in person on social media and beyond gary easy on the ching
0: <clears throat> oh sorry but my shopify sales are through the roof
2: Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen.
1: Shopify.com slash listen. It's really shocking to see in the reporting that's come out over the last 24 hours... Um, that includes just really a a throwaway line about how they want to overhaul the asylum process um, or just a a brief sort of treatment of that particular issue as though uh, we can know what will happen based on that really vague idea that this could be when actually really everything there is at the heart of so many problems. If you don't fix asylum laws, people are going to continue Coming to the border and saying, for instance, uh, that or claiming asylum, then disappearing into the shadows of the United States and sanctuary cities, um, and they could you know, present any number of national security threats. We wouldn't really know. There are so many known godaways anyway that we have no idea, basically, who's here. Period. Um, but there seems to be no interest in in seriously taking a, a look and really overhauling asylum. I know that they're saying this draft framework includes asylum, but I don't know about you. I have like very little confidence that they actually will competently and seriously have the will to do what it takes when it comes to asylum law. I agree with you. I I, I don't even think there's a desire there. And this is just based
2: on, I mean, looking back on history, like I said, and I, I agree with you as well. The fact that we have had we believe, and this is just a number that's out there. I was just talking to Tom Homan, former ICE director, about this. We saw, I saw him in Florida, and we believe it's somewhere around a million plus people. Those are known godaways. Those aren't even the encounters that have come into the United States under the Biden administration. I want people to just imagine that. More than a million people that have just disappeared into the fabric of America, and we have no idea who they are, no idea who they are, their backgrounds or anything. And then we have the, te- the 2.7 million encounters. And even in those cases, so many of them have just been released. We have no idea where they've gone. We have no idea what they're planning, no idea what they're doing. And ICE officials, you talk to ICE officers, they are extraordinarily frustrated. You talk to Border Patrol, they are extraordinarily frustrated. Remember, Emily, for a period of time, people were being released without even a notice to appear in court. Because the courts are overwhelmed, our immigration is overwhelmed, and people are claiming asylum that should not be claiming asylum. The coyotes, in fact, what's interesting is the human smugglers, and I've interviewed a number of them, um, have actually trained many of the people that they're smuggling on what to say and what to do when they reach the border of the United States and they turn themselves in. Those are those that are voluntarily turning themselves into Border Patrol, they teach them what to say. They claim asylum for political or religious purposes, or they say that they're victims of violence. And they know that if they make these statements, if they ditch their identification which many of them do, that they can pretend to be anybody and anything, and that they will be released into the United States. So I find it, I find it almost impossible to believe. And I think it's just kind of a throwaway line, like you said, that they are really going to overhaul our asylum system. And, um, and I think that's the tragedy here. They're going to try to force something through, that just for the sheer theater of it to make it look like they're doing something. And uh, in the meantime, you know, then again, increase budgets and everything will just stay the same.
1: It's infuriating, but I have to imagine as a descendant of Cuban immigrants to think about how messed up the asylum process is right now, because yeah, I, I've talked to folks on the Mexico side or in shelters in Texas, you have no way to verify what they're saying. Many of them have gone through absolute hell. Of course, they're being trafficked by coyotes um, and they've come from hell in their own countries. That is absolutely not true of all of them, period. And the Biden administration right now is putting quotas on Cuban asylum seekers, Venezuelan asylum seekers, people who have broadly legitimate claims to asylum, who cannot get into this country and access the American dream, because there are so many people, for instance, Haitians that have been living for years in Brazil, in Mexico, in Argentina, who are economic migrants. And we'll tell you in some cases, if they haven't been coached, that they're economic migrants. And yet the people who are are fleeing persecution after July 11, and Cuba in general, uh, they can't get in right now because of quotas.
2: It's extraordinarily frustrating, and I, I hear the same things. It's kind of interesting. I, I like talking to you because you hear exactly what I'm hearing at the border. It verifies everything. I... I met so many Haitian migrants and I know that it's been difficult for them. Life was difficult for, for many of them. And I meet people from Nicaragua. I meet people from Honduras, Guatemala, and almost always, especially if I'm meeting them on the journey into the United States, if I meet them in Central America or in Mexico, they will say, honestly, it's economic reasons. I mean, they're coming here for economics. They want to send money back home. Uh, they're, they're not happy with the situation where they are at. And so they're heading to the US. I even remember one time interviewing an uh, MS-13. I I believed he said he was not a prisoner. He was covered in prison tattoos. Um, And I met him when I was in Guatemala. And I asked him, why are you heading to the United States? He had just crossed the border from Honduras. And he said to me, well, because I can't get a job in Honduras with all my tattoos, And I said, well, what makes you think you're going to get a job in the United States with all those tattoos? This man also had tattooed the whites of his eyes. So his eyes were completely black. Um, And and I remember thinking, well, you might be able to get a job with Ozzy Osbourne. I don't know. And everybody started (laughs) laughing. But I but it was just interesting that they they all had the same intention, right, of like coming for for jobs well that's not a reason to claim asylum um i can't just go to japan and say i'm coming here and i want you to make me a citizen because i need a job it's just never going to happen but we're expected to do that um in the united states i i do think we need to reform our system um but really do it and um and i also believe emily and i think this is really important that we need to work with our neighbors. I don't mean handouts. I don't mean giving tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars without any accountability to our neighbors. I mean, really working with our neighbors because we have seen, and, and this is what my podcast is looking at as well, we've seen the expansion of our adversaries in Central America, in Mexico. In South America, and it is extremely dangerous that we as a nation have like foregone and ignored, for the most part, uh, the real potential problems we are going to have and we are having right now when adversaries such as China and others uh, make headway. Um, and surround us, you know, and and turn our neighbors into Marxist states. Or so we see what's happened with Venezuela. We see what's happened with Cuba. Look at what's happening right now in El Salvador, you know, um, under Bukele, and uh, you know the fact that he is cutting these big deals with China. I think we are doing that to our own. Um, I hope not our own demise, but I think we're doing that at at the benefit of China and really putting our nation at risk um, on our national security. So I think we're failing on multiple levels here. And unfortunately, I don't think what Tom Tillis is doing, uh, as well as uh, Senator Kirsten Sinema, although I want to believe they're doing it for the right reasons, I don't think it's going to be enough. And I do believe it's theater.
1: I was really excited to ask you about China. That's your the most recent episode of Dark Wars, The Border, is about China. China is the new cartel, I believe, is actually the title of the episode. And I was reading through the transcript just now so I could see in writing um, some of the stuff that folks can listen to. It's remarkable. Uh, tell us what you mean when you say China is the new cartel, and maybe you know, what do folks not understand? I mean, I think a lot of people are aware of the Chinese fentanyl or the fentanyl ingredients being shipped to Mexico in, in huge numbers. Um, but what might folks not not entirely understand or know about because the media doesn't cover it at all when it comes to China being the new cartel
2: because I think that when you when people hear that you know the precursor chemicals are being shipped to Mexico from China, they're thinking okay, this is maybe Chinese gangs, maybe these products are being shipped over without the awareness of the Chinese Communist party everything and I think that this podcast is really great at exposing it because we have so many experts and so many people involved in the intelligence community including Daniel Hoffman, who was a former station chief and spent his career at the CIA, as well as Gordon Chang and other experts. Um, Bill Gertz, a good friend of mine from The Washington Times, is in the podcast, but really exposing what the Chinese Communist Party is aware of. And what I tell people all the time is it reminds me of when I was on the ground in Afghanistan or in Iraq and, you know, the Iranians were always underhandedly operating with various groups on the ground and targeting our soldiers. And it was irregular warfare, right? I say this is irregular warfare on the United States when China and the Chinese Communist Party, absolutely Beijing knows that these precursor chemicals are being shipped into the U.S., shipped into Mexico, then shipped into the U.S., and they are poisoning and killing our young people, and our citizens. And of course, there's a huge issue of addiction, and that as Americans, we have to deal with. But I'm talking about counterfeit pills. I'm talking about pills that look like Adderall, pills that look like Percocet, Oxycontin, you know, all of these pills, these pills are killing our people, people that are not addicts. And we are facing very dangerous times. The Chinese also, which I think is very important and for people to be aware of, are allowing the Mexican cartels to launder their money back through the Chinese banking systems, which we have no access to. So we can't we can't close down those accounts. We can't investigate those accounts. The Chinese government is literally allowing the Mexican cartels to launder the money back through their accounts. It's as simple as using a phone. And transferring that money, we also see the Chinese government um, and people connected to the Chinese government purchasing large swaths of land. In the podcast, I speak to Governor uh, Stitt out of Oklahoma about this. He is just amazing how he addresses this issue, and you know how surprised even people in the state of Oklahoma were when they realized that the Chinese government had straw men purchasing agricultural land. Uh, In their state, I, you know, I go to Montana and I investigate the cell towers um, where Huawei 5G was putting their technology into cell towers in Montana, right where we keep our ICBM nukes, right? So this is our country security. We've got about 150 missile silos in this area of Montana and the Chinese uh, companies, uh, Huawei, as well as others connected to the Chinese Communist Party had in 2010 begun to put their technology into our cell phone towers. And somehow our government just allowed this to happen. And the purchase of land right near some of our most secretive bases. uh, We saw that in North Dakota. We've seen it here in Texas. So we really need to be aware that the border issue is not just a singular issue. It's a multifaceted issue that affects our national security in ways that our enemy, especially our true adversaries, have taken advantage of. And that chaos that chaos—that happens at the border blinds us to what they are doing many times. And unfortunately, unfortunately, when we have uh, an administration that really does not care or appears to not care or appears to want this chaos, I have to question that. Why? Why would they want this? Why would we allow this to happen?
1: What is the interaction between the cartels, which are industrialized, as the series points out very clearly, and everything you just said illustrates that very clearly, um, to the tune of billions of dollars every single year. What is their interaction with both the, the Mexican government and the Chinese government and sort of all three of those different entities between that, that kind of triangle, that triangular relationship between the cartels, their own government in Mexico, although they kind of are their own government, and uh, the right. Chinese government? What does that look like?
0: Well,
2: I think this is really, I think this is kind of like the fascinating evolution of what happened, right? It's this nexus between all these nefarious organizations and legitimate governments and how that evolved. We really are all to blame. We have allowed these cartels, like the Sinaloa cartel, Nuevo Generacion, La Familia, Beltran Leyva. I can go on and on and on. Jalisco, and that I'm just talking right now about the Mexican cartels. And I've mean, even brought up the Chinese triads and and others, even Canada-based Chi, uh, Lop, which was called Asian El Chapo. He was the 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 run running uh, the operations for this. Uh, Chinese linked, uh, Canadian based group. Um, what happened was we allowed them to amass hundreds of billions of dollars in human trafficking and narcotics trafficking. And we've always been more on the defense than on the offense against them. So what started out, I think, you know, you could look back maybe 50, 60, 70 years ago, even maybe even further than that. Maybe when, uh, you know, there was a prohibition in the United States where you had smaller gangs that were moving alcohol in and across the border uh, during prohibition and then eventually it evolved into narcotics. Um, so we've always been more on the defensive and instead of realizing the potential threat looking outside the box and. They've evolved into massive organizations, not drug organizations. I don't, I, don't want it, I don't want it to sound like a gang. These are massive organizations that have taken their money and literally laundered it into legitimate businesses, built up their stash in banking systems and purchased members of government, both in Mexico and in the U.S., I believe. We've seen them influence people in law enforcement, people that were on the take. We've seen them bribe people. And I mean, this being the the cartels or the narco traffickers. We have seen them purchase equipment such as like the most highest level spy equipment. You know, uh, they have their own servings, si- their own servers, their own system of spying on our law enforcement. They can intercept phone calls. They have purchased um, semi-submersible submarines to move their narco- uh, to move their narcotics and people as well. They have developed relationships, not just with. With potential uh, you know um, uh, narco traffickers in other parts of the world but they've literally developed relationships with even terrorist organizations in Africa, we've seen those connections. And I've talked to DEA, who has uh, worked with me on extensively on different stories um, in the past. But, you know, in Guinea-Bissau, in Africa, those connections between uh, the Mexican cartels and the Colombian cartels and the their their connections as far away as Africa. And we've seen those in governments, like in China, where we've seen the Chinese banking system, you know, the triads and others. Uh, and people that are using like, I mean, all kinds of new money, because now we're looking at, you know, not just exchange or brown bagging money, but moving it through the Internet in such a way that it can be hidden. And I mean, and th- this is like the incredible, incredible expansion of these cartel organizations, and they've embedded themselves so deeply into the governments that it's almost Hard to separate them when you go into Central America or Mexico. And I know you've worked in those regions. And there are many times, many times where we're trying to, you know, work on a story, but we don't know who to trust. Because maybe the person that I'm talking to, you know, in the federales, for example, in Mexico, or I'm dealing with a local police officer in, you know, Nuevo Laredo or something. And I don't know if he's under the thumb of one of the cartels. And my life could be in danger. I mean, Mexico, after all, is one of the most dangerous places in the world for a journalist to work. And I think it was interesting that the DEA, you know, administrator, Ann Milgram, she was saying, you know, that drug cartels in Mexico are not just mass producing fentanyl and everything outsourced from China, but they're distributing it into the United States all across in our local communities. And she was like, listen, people, this is literally the most dangerous time in our nation because we have not taken control of this. We have not been on the offensive and our children Our children are the ones that they are targeting and this and the future of our country. So when you look at these relationships and you think of it just beyond the border, you know, I think a lot of Americans get they say they get tired of seeing the border because oh, so many people just crossing. And it's the same thing every day. People just crossing. This isn't just about people crossing. This is about our adversaries and the people that want to do us harm, taking advantage of the chaos and they really are and they are doing it and they have had decades to build this system and we are now we are now challenged with how do we how do we with all the restrictions that we have in place cuz they have no restrictions how do we fight back how do we win our nation back how do we stop our adversaries and how do we do that in such a way that it that it benefits all of us and of course, our neighbors. Because if our neighbors don't get cleaned up and if we don't get cleaned up, it's just not going to happen. It's going to get far worse.
1: Sarah Carter, host of Dark Wars, The Border. Thank you so much for joining us today.
2: Thank you so much for having me, Emily. I appreciate it.
1: Absolutely. Everyone must go check out that podcast, Dark Wars, The Border. Sarah is also a Fox News contributor and the host of the very popular Sarah Carter show. So make sure to check her out in all of those different locations as well. I'm Emily Jashinsky, culture editor here at The Federalist. We'll be back soon with more. Until then, be lovers of freedom and anxious for the fray. Father, you got me right where you want.